Last week, India's largest FMCG company, HUL, that is Hindustan Unilever Limited, announced its December quarter results. And the results were good, beyond the market expectations. But the market reaction? Negative. The HUL stock fell 4%. Why? Because alongside the results, the company announced an increase in the royalty it pays to its parent. HUL board has approved new royalty and central services arrangement effective 1st February 2023 for a period of five years. What the market does not seem to have liked is the increase in royalty rate that uh, HUL plans to pay to its parent. Now our calculation says that the impact on earnings because of this royalty increase would be the tune of about 2.5% for FI24 and about 3.3% for FI25. My view is that Angres will go and Canolian mindset अभी यूनिलीवर है तो अंग्रेजी कंपनी मतलब ब्रिटिश कंपनी है मैं तो कहता हूं कि ये किस चीज की रॉयल्टी भैया ये आप उल्टा आपको रॉयल्टी देनी चाहिए आपको इतना बड़ा मुनाफा कमा के एक ये एंटिटी आपकी दे रही है आपको उससे काम नहीं चल रहा है क्या आपको इन्वेस्टर्स पोर्ड देयर एंगर ऑन ट्विटर अबाउट हाउ रॉयल्टी वाज लाइक अ कॉलोनियल लगान ऑन माइनॉरिटी शेयर होल्डर्स दे वांटेड टू नो व्हाट वाज यूनिलीवर्स एडिशनल कंट्रीब्यूशन टू एचयूएलस बिजनेस to deserve this royalty increase and there were tweets calling for a boycott of HUL and a mass sell off of its shares but the company defended the move it is royalty and service fees uh, we are talking about and uh, this increases in a staggered fashion yeah there is some 45 pips increase in 23 25 pips in 24 and 10 pips in 25 yeah so it's all not coming together that was the company ceo and md sanjeev mehta first we must understand that we get the value for what we pay as a royalty and service fees whether it is in terms of innovations whether it in terms of product superiority whether it is in terms of enhanced service access to technology we get benefit for that look at the history look at our performance since 2013 when we last had an increase of royalty Yeah, we grew our business more than double, and we improved our operating margins by nearly thousand bips. But the stock markets didn't like it then, and they don't like it now. In 2013, after HUL announced a doubling of royalty to 3.15 percent in a staggered manner, its stock declined 6.5 percent. Now, this is what Mehta told my colleague. Arijit Barman at the ETCEO roundtable on Tuesday. The first important bit is India should be open in a manner that we can access the best possible R&D and technology. We have to go up the innovation ladder. Let's accept that. Now there are some business models where you set up an R&D center like we have, where we have 700 scientists, 200 PhDs, yeah, working on cutting-edge research, where we do not absorb the cost. The cost is absorbed by the center, so it comes back to us as technology fees. There's nothing wrong in it. Traditionally, Indian investors have not liked royalty payments made to multinational companies. They say it impacts the local company's profitability. But to increase royalty at a time when the Indian subsidiary needs less and less from its foreign parent in terms of brand or tech, but contributes more and more revenues and profits, seems unfair. After HUL's royalty hike, the Swadeshi Jagran Manch, an organization affiliated to the RSS, has asked the central government to impose a cap. on the royalty payments and technical fees that indian subsidiaries of foreign multinationals 
can pay to their parent. But was the reaction to HUL's royalty hike justified? Are MNCs facing unfair contempt even as Indian business groups charging royalty do not face that? Or is HUL's move discriminatory to its minority shareholders? Are there any red flags with regards to royalty payment? What does the law say? And what's the larger global trend on royalty payments? All this and much more in today's episode of The Morning Brief. I speak with Tata Group veteran R. Gopalakrishnan, who is also an author and business commentator, with Sandeep Ghosh, an experienced marketing professional who has had stints with multinational companies HUL and Lafarge India, and with Hitesh Gajaria, former senior partner of KPMG India, and now its senior advisor presenting his personal views. It's the 26th of January. From the Economic Times, I'm your host, Kiran Somvanshi, wishing you a very happy Republic Day. And today we are asking the same questions that investors are asking. Is the practice of royalty a blot on a company's sovereignty? And is it the price a company pays for its allegiance to a foreign master? Now, royalty is a fraction of sales that a subsidiary pays to its parent for the use of its brands, tech know-how and common services rendered at the group level. So, I think it's a very common practice. In most cases, it's Hmm. probably also justified by the services and the brands and the technology provided by the parent, depending on which country the multinational is domiciled in, will want to check that if they have received $100 million in a year, that they are in fact spending $100 million on technology or brands or whatever. So it's a common practice. That was R. Gopalakrishnan, a veteran industry leader with long stints in Tata Group and HUL. In India, the FMCG sector typically charges higher royalty rates than other sectors. Excluding Maruti Suzuki, HUL and Nestle India pay the highest royalty amounts among MNCs. In fact, a study done by investor advisory firm IIAS showed that among MNCs, HUL made the second highest royalty payments in absolute terms for three years beginning 2019. And this year, another hike has come in. Before we get into whether investors are rightfully angry at HUL paying more royalty to its parent, let's clear the misconceptions that seem to have shaped the reaction. First, payment of royalty is not just an MNC phenomenon. Several Indian business groups such as Tata's, Godrej, Vadia's, Muthut Finance and the Sriram Group charge royalty to their group companies for using their brand name. And Indian arms of foreign MNCs do not pay unjustifiably high royalties vis-a-vis their peers in other countries. In fact, a business standard research on the balance of payments data suggests that royalty payments by Indian companies to their MNC parents are in line with their peers in other emerging markets and lower than those in the West. To be sure, royalty has been around in the corporate world for quite long. Here's Hitesh Gajaria. This issue of royalties is not new at all. As part of the liberalization of the Indian economy, which began in 1991, until the year 2010, government of India actually permitted royalties to be paid by Indian companies to foreign companies, regardless of whether they were related parties or not, at rates of 5% for domestic sales and 8% for export sales. In 2010, government further liberalized everything and removed all these caps, so long as the two or three conditions were satisfied. 
And in fact, Companies Act 2013 also again brings out these changes. What are these changes? First of all, are these royalties paid in the normal course of business, number one? Number two, are these paid out at arm's length? And it is the duty of, let's say, the board of directors and especially the audit committees to ensure that these two important conditions that paid in the normal course of business and two paid at arm's length are satisfied. SEBI came out with a further guidance to say, you will need shareholder approval only if you exceed certain percentages of payment of royalty. Okay. And under SEBI regulations currently, the percentage is 5% of sales. So quite frankly, it is an onerous responsibility on the directors, especially the audit committee directors of public listed companies to ensure compliance with both those important conditions as I earlier mentioned. But if boards do their due diligence, why should shareholders be upset? Sandeep Ghosh shares his views. I think the worry happens is that they are seeing this as an outflow of income from the entity, wherever it is in India, and you're not getting commensurate value in exchange. Hmm. Then obviously the local investors or the remaining investors feel that they are being deprived of some of the earnings. So if you were to look at, I'm not talking of HRL specifically, if you would look at in any entity, where does value come in from? Essentially value comes in A, from technology, or if there is some brand value which is coming in. Uh, then something that is benefits everyone, the benefits the entity as a whole, and you have a good trade-off. But if somewhere they don't see that coming in, for example, if you were to take from an industry where I was associated earlier, if let's say in an industry like cement, what is foreign collaborator or a foreign partner bringing in in terms of technology? Indian cement industry by itself is far technologically advanced than many countries around the world. Secondly, in many cases, they're using the Indian existing brand. So you're not also bringing in any value in terms of branding. Third, there is a lot of local expertise required for acquisition of land, setting up plants, and the rest of it. Again, in that, foreign partners are hardly bringing anything to the table. So therefore, whatever you give them, additionally in terms of royalty, is kind of a drain. And that's why you'll find after the acquisition of some large companies by a local entity, you'll see a value accretion there. So the same question would arise for, I think, when you're looking at, say, FMCG brands or any uh, consumer brands for that matter. The question arises, what is really the contribution of the Indian entity to the overall kitty? So without talking of, again, any company specifically, if you were to look at 30, 40 years before liberalization, the contribution of the Indian entities would have been insignificant. It would have been probably in low single digits, whether in terms of profit or whether in terms of turnover. But today, when you are seeing some of the multinational entities, the Indian entity actually contributes a substantial portion both to the bottom line and top line. Not just the top line and the bottom line, but valuations also. HUL's market cap is 67% of its parents' market cap. And that points to the performance and growth premium that it commands while being listed on the Indian stock market. So they are getting already fairly compensated by as a shareholder. 
Now, on top of that, if there is an increase in royalty, the question obviously will be asked by the remaining shareholders, uh, why that royalty? What are we getting in exchange? And if they don't see that, then the Indian shareholder will see themselves to be at a disadvantage. And it's not just the Indian shareholders. The Indian government also has reservations about high royalty payments that lead to an increased forex outgo. In September 2020, the Commerce and Industry Minister Piyush Goyal had asked automobile companies to reduce royalty payments to their parents. Now, one major allegation on royalty payment is that it is a profit extraction tool in the sense that it is a pre-tax deduction coming in before the corporate tax and before the dividends. So wouldn't it be more equitable for parent companies to prefer taking dividends over royalties? There could be two parts to it. One is, you know, dividend flow, there is a cash implication. So whether you want to give away a high dividend to everybody concerned, that's the question. You know, if you pay making a dividend at whatever percentage you increase, you're going to pay out on the hundred percentage. The dividend does not go differentially to your parent company. Right. The second answer, this is conjecture, I would suspect when you're getting royalty in, it goes in so-called above the line, okay? It goes in not as when you're taking dividend, it comes below the line. After the EBITDA, it's not coming in as an operating income. Right. It's coming in as an investment income. And if these companies need to shore up their operating income, they would rather take royalty above the line. And uh, that shore up their, uh, boost up their EBITDA or operating income. So that's to their benefit, at least, when they show the results. And legitimately so, they, when you're getting royalty, you're getting it out of like a business operation rather than as a shareholder from an investment. Hitesh makes a clear demarcation between dividends and royalty and brings in the very critical angle of taxation. These payments actually, first of all, are not fairly characterized, if you will, if they are pulled out by way of dividends. Also remember, parents are not 100% owners of a company. So undue benefit will go to other non-management kind of shareholders and even minority shareholders when they have contributed nothing of value which demonstrates the need to make such a payment. In fact, camouflaging a correct payment of royalty into some other stream of income has also been challenged by tax authorities. Okay. And nowadays, it's not for the purposes of tax evasion that one would make such payments because when royalties are subject to a withholding tax rate, so far as India is concerned, let's take this very case of Hindustan Unilever. These payments are to be made to Unilever UK, as I understand. Then under India's tax treaty with UK, India gets a right to tax these royalties at the rate of 15% on the gross amount of these royalties which are paid out to UK. Unilever UK can claim a credit for this 15% tax which is withheld in India against the corporate tax liability that it has on such royalty payments in the UK. Okay. Now take the case of dividends. In fact, for dividends, the rate of withholding under the India-UK treaty is even lower at only 10%. So, in fact, ironically, the more the royalties are paid, the government stands to collect more tax on a withholding tax basis under the provisions of the tax treaty that India has signed with the United Kingdom. To be sure, the dividends that Unilever earns from HUL are much greater than the royalty. In financial year 2022, 
HUL paid over 3500 crore rupees of dividend to Unilever while the royalty paid was around 800 crore rupees HUL's revenue and profit have also grown faster than the royalties that it has paid In a report in January last year IAS listed out certain red flags on royalty A slew of payments made in the name of technical know-how fees operation support and cost of expatriates are levied on the Indian arms of global companies Strictly speaking they are not exactly royalty payments Royalty also seems unjustified when an MNC creates a separate subsidiary in the Indian market impacting the business performance of its existing listed subsidiary IIAS in its report lists the examples of companies such as Suzuki Lind India Procter and Gamble and GETND India Besides these there are other red flags to watch out for as Gopal Krishnan and Sandeep tell me There are companies multinationals right. who charge it irrespective whether you make profit or loss there are even cases where they get more out of their royalty or technical fee than the dividend that they get and i think one must be sensitive to those aspects because if i am sitting in the center i get 100 rupees by way of royalty and 30 rupees by way of dividend then it could be argued hmm. that i am giving up the pie in advance you know a lot of companies for example forget royalty they would charge sometimes let's say for management expertise if say they were putting some executives or any other parent company executives into the entity and charging a huge management fee hmm. that would be seen again as an unreasonable charge being put on to the subsidiary and that would raise questions or cases where you might find let's say there is a parent company which is again not bringing in any value either in terms of their the corporate brand value or in terms of any other whether it's management expertise or any other common resources then again raise question maybe because of these issues royalty payments do become a bone of contention between the subsidiaries and their parents the split of hero honda one of india's oldest and most successful joint ventures is a case in point here the indian partner hero was uneasy about high royalty payments made to the japanese partner honda over tech transfer and that was touted as one of the reasons for the split on the other hand we have the tata group which does things differently the tata model is somewhat unique in so far as a the percentage is very very low and uh, second hmm. if the company wasn't making profit you they were exempted from paying it if tata motors made a loss in one year or two years or three years or tata steel or whoever then those hmm. years they would not pay for it then we said we can also periodically review this and increase the fees for example we had joint ventures you know tata honeywell tata ibm hmm. there we said that tata sons will get a royalty provided the other company also gets a royalty ah oh, because nice. you said yeah. tata honeywell is right so honeywell said i'm also giving my brand makes sense so if it's tata hitachi then you say okay then we'll both take equal 0.25 each or neither of us will take that will based on our negotiation we are both equal because the other one is also right. giving something so i remember in the early years uh, rightly we were very conservative and careful we took it to the shareholders it didn't require shareholder approval you know it required only board approval yeah. and agreement between two companies but out of abundant caution it went along with the agm notice so the shareholders approved it hmm. that's how the tatas was done Tata's went to the shareholders out of abundant caution. But do other companies follow their example? Not really. Then does the increase in royalty become a corporate governance concern? <laughs>
I don't think so because you're charging for some specified services mm. and the board is free to inquire and understand what those services are. And mm. at the other end also, that has to be justified to the tax authorities. Some people may charge exorbitant amounts or what may look exorbitant from a subsidiary mm. point of view. But the spirit and the principle is if I go and pay a lawyer his fees, is it considered discriminatory? He's giving me a service, I'm paying him. So he charges me five lakhs per appearance, I pay him, right? Right. And that's not considered discriminatory. So in the same way, if you're getting services of the use of a brand, or uh, right. in the case of Unilever, there was knowledge transfer, technology transfer, sharing. And conversely, when Hindustan Lever developed something new, so I think it's a two-way, two-way uh, traffic. Has the stock market overreacted to HUL increasing its royalty? I think it's perhaps a one-sided or a little bit short-sided view. And let me explain why. Investors are perhaps counting the additional outflow on account of royalty and therefore wrongly concluding that the earning per share of the company therefore will go down. But they are not looking at the continuing benefits which payments for these royalties will bring to Hindustan Unilever and they are not counting on the increasing market share or volume increase or value increase due to new technology, new products, new branding, etc., which is going to benefit the company and indirectly, therefore, benefit the individual shareholders or minority shareholders themselves. So long as the audit committee directors are able to satisfy themselves that, yes, this is an arm's length payment, and it is within the overall guardrail of 5% as denominated by SEBI. Hmm. I don't think that minority shareholders should have any issue, really. This is what former SEBI chairman M. Damodran told Origit at the ETCEO roundtable. When you do business, you need to protect the interests of all your stakeholders. If you focus exclusively on minority shareholders and ignore the interests of the others, clearly you don't get the game going. If your regulations are outdated, events have overtaken you. If your regulations don't keep pace with the needs of all categories of investors, and you start looking at the interest of one set of stakeholders to the exclusion of the interest of the other set of stakeholders, clearly then you have a problem. But it's not just the minority shareholders. A lot depends on the company's management control as well as the market forces. It depends on the equation between the parent and the subsidiary entirely. So what level of cloud? So the easiest example that comes to mind is something like IDC, which asserted its Indianness or Indian entity and refused to buckle down to diktats from its so-called parent then. Therefore, you cannot really have very strong legislative cap mm. on these matters. One has to apply is the you know, the doctrine of reasonableness mm. and, you know, what makes business sense. And as you will have the economies open up, you have a more liberal economic regime, then these things uh, level itself out in terms of market forces. Right. So if people's ability to charge unreasonable royalty or any such charges gets limited by market forces. Talking about market forces, globally, royalty as a concept is increasingly becoming more relevant in a world that is valuing intangibles over the tangibles. It is, in fact, the only trend which is gaining momentum because the world is now realizing the importance of brand. Mm. You take the S&P 500. You would be surprised and not surprised even, let's say, to 
note that if you look at the market value of this S&P 500 companies, today, as much as 90% of the market value of a MNC company can be attributed to the intangible brand values that it commands. Take any technology company. What is a Google without the Google brand? Yeah. Today, branding, intellectual property, immovable is far greater than any immovable property like traditional lands, machinery, building. These are all now commodities. Mm -hmm. The world is increasingly moving towards intangible property. If intangible property has to be developed, enhanced, protected, exploited, then certainly the costs for that have to be defrayed by royalty payments. Right. So this is an increasing trend. And so long as intellectual property and intangible property is going to rule the roost, these payments will continue and in fact increase. Royalty is a business issue that attracts sharp and polarizing views. It made much more sense in the India of the 70s or 80s when tech transfer was required and justified. As the world is globalizing, most multinational companies are shifting their R&D basis to India and a lot of R&D is happening locally. So naturally, shareholders of listed companies in India may not be so keen to pay out royalties to the MNC parents, especially of companies that are among the most valuable in the stock market. And in a country with the largest population, most consumer companies are building homegrown brands or acquiring local brands. So as the dependence on the parent MNC brands reduces, the rationale of charging a royalty may not be so tenable. Little wonder then that research by IAS shows that over the past few years, royalty payments to MNCs have moderated and are now more aligned to the revenues and profits of the Indian subsidiaries. Before that, royalty payments often had little correlation to revenues or profits. Also, in an emerging market like India, where the revenue base for a consumer business keeps growing year after year, royalty as a proportion of revenues should ideally keep declining. But despite these concerns, the Indian arms of multinational companies do trade at a premium over their domestic peers on the bourses, thanks to their better governance practices. Right from the audit committee to the board to the taxman and ultimately the stock market, there are many levels of internal and external checks and balances that make it difficult for an unjustified royalty payment to go through. Besides the legal framework, it is a stock market that is going to make companies decide whether they want to take more royalty or take a hit on their stock valuations. Because the market always knows. So that's it for today. This is your host Kiran Somanchi from The Economic Times. You have been listening to this episode only on The Morning Brief. A big thank you to our guests, R. Gopal Krishnan, Sandeep Ghosh and Hitesh Gajaria for sharing their amazing insights. And thank you for tuning in to this podcast brought to you by the Team Economic Times. Executive Producers Anupriya Bahadur, Anirban Chaudhary and Arijit Bhadman. We hope you like this episode. Do share it on your social media networks. The Morning Brief drops every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. It is now streaming on Amazon Prime Music and Geo7, apart from Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. And of course, ET's own audio platform, ET Play. Do enjoy your Republic Day celebrations. All clips used in this episode belong to the respective owners and credits mentioned in the description. 